0: Good morning to you. And hopefully by this time you have collected yourself. There's a lot to collect. (laughs) Dealing with uh, a number of uh, unusual events which I will not take the time to rehearse in this weekend and perhaps some have stayed up later than you ordinarily would have. Well, thank you for overcoming and... uh, are here. I want to thank all those who participated last week in that Christmas celebration. Beth and I were were out of town, but uh, I got good reports on the celebration of the Incarnation, and we watched part of it. Someone had recorded it, and uh, it was encouraging to hear the different voices and the celebration of the gift of God. In his Messiah, the Lord Jesus Christ. So thank you for that. And thank you for your faithfulness and encouragements that you're here this morning. Thank you for that. And I'm going to read some scripture. Now it's going to be a bit different uh, reading scripture. Actually, I'm going to read five different passages. And for those who come from a more uh, or have experienced a more liturgical background, it may sound like that, because these passages come from different, each one, from a, two of them, same book of the Bible. But they are connected through the message. So I will hope you will be alert to how these verses that will be read will emerge in what is going to be said with regard to Romans chapter 12 and verse 1. So I'll read these and then we're going to pray and then we'll look into God's word together. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Titus 2, verses 11 and 12. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives, In the present age Romans 6 and verse 13 do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness Philippians 2 verse 17 even if I am being poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 2. Like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up into salvation. Let's pray together. Our Father who art in heaven, oh God, thank you for your loving reign in wisdom and justice and mercy. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Father, I pray that you will guide our minds to lay our hands upon the minds of our hands of our minds, upon those commands those directions that you give to us how we should live so as to please you and father we do look to that time when your kingdom will come and Messiah Jesus will come and bring it to this earth and our Lord thank you for meeting our daily needs and we look to you for that provision for this coming year We'll trust you every step of the way. So enable us. And Father, oh, that give us the grace to forgive those to whom we have a a debt to us and to whom we have a debt. And Lord, we pray that you will give us protection from the evil one. And as temptation comes our way, that we will be strong, that we will be discerning, and that we will be We will be wise in the steps that we take. Father, oh, thank you now for a new year that you've set out before us. You've given us the grace to come this far. Lord, to how will we serve you this year? Open this passage up before our mind's eye in Romans. And Father, we look to you for those that are not well who are not with us today. Give them, Lord, that ongoing hopefulness, joy, within, engendered by your Holy Spirit. Do that, Lord. Give them encouragements they need this morning, this day. Now, Father, open our eyes that we'll see wonderful things from your law. Amen. Now, everyone should have, you will have nothing on the screen this morning except a a beach scene, Not, not bad for January the 1st, pretty good actually, but you should have an outline and it's what you will need if you desire to follow along and I think it will be evident as we move along. We are familiar with delivery trucks. I am on my street and I've got a delivery truck to come up to your front door right now. And after the drop-off, we're going to go beyond these two packages, if you will, but they're important to what we need to do this morning. The first one is this. It's a time to review our circumstances. Where are we living? We need some situational awareness. We stand on the shoreline of eternity in terms of a new year. What about our personal condition? Time of life for each of us. I'm looking around, I see probably, or we have a range of age groups here. What time of life are you in? Well, your expectations. How much of the past do you have to look upon? The seasons of life. What goes with those seasons of life? Time in our church life. Our church has been in existence for over 52 years. At one time, this was just a cow pasture. It's well beyond that now. These last few years have become increasingly beset with conflict, especially so in this past year. I will, I will brush by this uh, several times this morning. What about our church conditions? Well, church conditions... We have departed friends. We have relational differences. We have a transition to a new leadership. And valid questions as to what has happened and why. That's where we're sitting, thinking, and living. What about our cultural and national conditions? Well, think about it a little bit. It means this, among other things, tolerance now different than what you thought. Tolerance means joining the revolution and getting on board with the right side of history. Wow, what does that mean? Being expected to declare about gender and racial issues on job application blanks and other ways. Truth has been asked to leave the room. Everybody has their own truth. God has been dismissed, as an inconvenient deity. And for those who do believe in him, he is son of a genie in a bottle, just to come out and give us some momentary happiness. Indoctrination of our children in schools, some more, some less, indoctrination by radical leftist orthodoxies. That's the culture in which we now live. Racist-driven diversity seminars. And the fact that if you declare yourself to be neutral on a matter, you could be doxed, depending on your work environment. So here we are. One writer has put it this way. America is no longer the country some of us are used to remember, remembering what it was. We have a cultural tsunami that swept over us. And there is really no safe ground unless you have really created some artificial bubble. Now, let me go to the second package. It is time to renew our minds. And if you will, we're going to go into what I will describe this particular sphere of truth, section of truth, I'll call it a building. We're going to go up to the 12th floor, but let's, let's get in first. Specifically, I'm referring to the book of Romans. Romans, written about 58 AD. Paul wrote it. And he really goes after several things. Several things come out of the book of Romans. Some of you may have been here. It took us about two and a half years, some time ago, 10, 15 years ago, to go through the book of Romans. What does it do? It clarifies the mission of the church. Why do we exist? How are we to function? It declares the great doctrines of the Christian faith to the average person. Romans is not simply for scholars to amuse over in their ivory towers and write commentaries on. It's for the average person. Well, I could say this. That church in Rome, probably some house churches, probably mostly made up of slaves and Roman soldiers. And Romans also demonstrates the foundational nature of doctrine. Don't be afraid of that word. It's a good word. We'll speak to that more as we go along. So here's what we have. If I may just uh, put a drone over the book uh, for the purpose of over the book of Romans. Here is the, here's the short version of it because I'm doing something that's kind of contrary to previous style and approach. I'm coming into the 12th chapter. Well, what happened to chapters 1 through 11? listen to the series but i will tell you this it's not difficult to understand the outline of romans the first three chapters down to chapter 3 verse 20 if i may put it in layman's language it's the wreckage of the human race we are all sinners we are in a mess up to our ears in the weeds of human sin idolatry idolatry And turning church into a place where we think that we can buy God off in our self-righteousness. Then you go into the chapters 3 and 4 and 5 and magisterial in that God's provided a remedy in the Lord Jesus Christ. In his redemptive work. And in that passage that I will read at communion a little later in chapter 3. In his work of Propitiation in his work of redemption, in his work of reconciliation. He has provided the rescue for us. And then we'll go into 6 and 7 and 8, and we are given some principles on therefore the consequences of justification, which that's been the issue in 3 and 4 and 5. Justification by faith alone. And then Paul writes magnificently with regard to that which flows out of justification, our transformation of life. Fundamental areas in those three chapters. And then in 9 and 10 and 11, oh, we got a problem because there are those who wish to throw stones at this tower of truth. What about Israel? What about unbelief? If, what if or if God has so given the rescue, Why on belief for an entire nation? And Paul answers that. He answers it and said, God is sovereign. He rules, he determines, he determines all things in his infinite wisdom. Then you come to where we're nudging up close to it, chapter 12. What we immediately encounter in verses, listen to me carefully here, I'm I'm not having amnesia. Romans 12 and 3 and following to the end of the book, it's specific areas of life in which truth is to be applied. Ethical situations, specific areas. We'll see this a little more later. And then, well, what about Romans 12, 1 and 2? A most important transition based on the foundation of justification by faith alone in Jesus Christ, then there are the obligations, responsibilities, and ways in which we demonstrate our love for Christ. And here is bedrock truth with regard, the theological term for it is sanctification. That is, that process that we come to and go through when God gives us new life in Jesus Christ and we're born again. So here we are then in 12, 1 and 2. And let me point out something. If you have your Bibles in Romans, and you know, I you have them open to Romans 12, and you have the passage in your notes. But if you were to look at verses, uh, chapter 11 and verses, what, 30, through, down through 30, 33, 34, 35, you will notice that prior to that, Paul is speaking there. I've circled them in my Bible. Prior to that part of Romans 11, near the end, he mentions mercies three times. Mercies. Don't let that be lost on you. Though he goes off into that wonderful doxology. Then in chapter 12, he comes back to the matter of mercies. Mercies. Really, if you want a handle on the entire book of Romans, the one word, mercies the mercies of God in his salvation in Jesus Christ, and then living out the life that he desires of us, living out those mercies to other people. All right? Those are the two packages. I told you, I had two packages. There they are. Now, let's come much closer then to chapter 12 in verses 1 and 2. What is taking place here in these verses is that there are two issues that I want you to immediately get. First of all, what is being asked for in these verses is commitment. Having been justified by faith in Christ, and let me pause and say it this way, have you found your new life in Christ by the Spirit of God regenerating you and making you his child? Have you put your trust in Jesus Christ? And that God accepts you not on the basis of your righteousness, no good deed, no good intentions, but based solely upon what Christ has done, and his righteousness becomes your declared righteousness because of who Christ is. Then, what is required of us? Commitment is required of those who wish to be serious about following Jesus Christ. Christianity is a life to be lived. And This is an easy, this area has been one which uh, many have left to throw stones at the church, at God, at Christ, because there's some who have made it a hobby to be quite knowledgeable about the Bible. It's not bad to be knowledgeable of the Bible. However, when a life doesn't follow through, They're glaring inconsistencies. A family is treated like trash while one revels in doctrinal knowledge. That's not good. When one is surly and difficult to get along with in the workplace and in the neighborhood, and yet this person is one to have some knowledge of the Bible, that's not a good connect. That is a disconnection. Now, here's where we are in Romans. If Christianity is a life to be lived, and we're people of the way, then you know what happens when you become a Christian? Now this is really countercultural to a lot of to contemporary Christianity. You begin to have problems. Oh really, you say, problems. I thought Jesus came to save me so I could be happy, so I could prosper, so I could be the best version of myself. But do you know when you become a Christian, you become, you begin to have problems. Actually, if you declare that you're a Christian and you don't have any problems, you may want to think this through a little bit more. Is there really any root in your profession of faith, root in Christ? So the issue here is commitment to follow through, change of life. Now this is not I want to make something very clear this is not a condition for salvation to clean up one's life. When we become a Christian on the basis of faith alone we are justified freely and receive regenerate life without cost Revelation 22:17 no cost no charge. And what follows discipleship flows out of that. It involves works. That's what is involved in following Christ. If anyone wishes to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wishes to save his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. That's not a condition for coming to Christ. That's a condition for those disciples who really want to go and follow Christ seriously, consistently. Now let me pause and say something. Some people have put out word on our church that we fall into one of two camps on this whole issue. And I'm not going to even mention the buzzwords, but I'll put it to you this way. You do not want to blur the importance of faith alone as the process by which we come to, by which we come to Christ. You don't... Salvation is not double justification. Justification by faith alone in Christ and then living your life persevering, so that at the end you can be justified by your works that you're Christian. Double justification. The book of Romans falls apart when you take that. It doesn't speak clearly. However, there is another extreme. And both of these extremes, I think, tend to try, they're correct, seeking to correct a problem. And there's Christians who make professions and live inconsistently and so on. We understand that, I think. But there are those who say, hey, it's all free of charge. Some push it to the limit that you don't even have to include the death and resurrection of Christ in your presentation of the gospel. Or that the, uh, you will be cast out of that you won't go into the kingdom. You'll go into some kind of uh, Christianized purgatory. Not the Roman Catholic version. I'm just saying to you, I can't stay here on this, but be careful. Be careful how you Allow yourself to be characterized. It is what? Justification by faith alone, and then a life that follows through in the spirits working in our life. Let's go forward. Now, let's get a handle on the text. I've got five words here that I want you to get. This is still a run-up. This is still a run-up to it, but these five words are in the text. And I want you to notice them. First of all, there is the word, therefore. Therefore. You see that word. Actually, the first word in the Greek text of Romans 12.1 is translated pre- present. Present. I'll deal with that. It's emphasized. It's placed up front, front for that purpose. But the word therefore is a hinge word. Actually, it's the fourth therefore in the book of Romans. That's an interesting progression through the book. And it's, it's a rearview mirror effect. You're looking back. See where you've been. The inference is what has proceeded, preceded, what's come before us. Well, Romans 1, this downward spiral of false and foolish worship, corrupted minds, idolatry. And then the great reversal found in Jesus Christ and where we are told to have reasonable worship and a renewed mind. So, this is the therefore. You can see it's a, it's a critically important verse, word. And that Christians are to present themselves as those alive from the dead. Dying yet living. That's what's going to come through. So, therefore, the word therefore, it's an argument. It's an argument for a Christian world and life view. It's a call to think and think hard think carefully, think biblically, because I'll tell you, there are a lot of other world views that are swirling around, and they are given a lot of good press, a lot of notoriety. Everything from deism, to naturalism, to nihilism, existentialism, Eastern pantheism, pantheistic monism, New Age, postmodernism. some of these words that, what's that, what's that? Just take my word for this. That you probably have had some of these, if not all of these, knock at your own the door of your own mind and heart in some way or another, dressed up and presented in a, an attractive way, a way to think and live. So here, this word therefore, let's, not go, let's go with it a little further. So what therefore is preparing us for is what's going to flow out of this. And here it is. First of all, we have relationships. Relationships, in chapter 12, verses 3 through 21. Is that ever important? Could we not all vote? Yes, something's wrong with relationships when you go through some kind of experiences like we've had here in this church. Well, Paul addresses that. Thank you. The church and state. Ah, chapter 13. Ah, something to be pursued there. The law of love, chapter 13. Christian liberty. When Christians differ on things, how are they to resolve them and work them out without running away from one another? And then Paul's personal ministry and his plans and then his final greetings. So here it is. What he's really working at is the importance of unity in the church. I noticed that we sang about it this morning. So therefore, the Christian life, what is it? It's a call to take what is true about you and me if we're Christians And make it a reality in our day-to-day living. That's this word, therefore. Because of God's mercy in Christ, I will talk a certain way. Because of God's mercy in Christ, I will think a certain way. I will plan my life in a certain way. I will think about biology in a certain way. I will study and think about history in a certain way. I will relate to people in a certain way. The point of Christianity is seen then as magnifying the beauty of Christ and God's mercy in Jesus Christ to make God look good. Our lives are called to call attention to the beauty and the glory of God. This is what's coming in this, through this word, therefore. Our behavior is to be rooted in Jesus Christ. We distinguish this from moralism. Oh, we're awash in that, moralism. Things like just do it. It no, has no therefore in front of it. Just do it. Danger of just a legal list. This is the way we do this. I said so. It's kind of legalism. Oh, it gets its it gets this though, the old camel getting its nose in the tent. This is where legalism easily comes in. And I'll tell you something that we're facing today, among other things is that we have a new version of humanism. It used to be called humanism. It's uh, uh, secularism kind of fits it, I think, a little better in these times. And that there are those who will tell us that, uh, listen, we don't need Christianity to tell us what it means to be good people. We can, there is a popular, I, on Facebook, I'm tracking it a little bit, there are some well known uh, public scholars, uh, people of good minds, and they're meeting around a table of about six or eight, and they're studying the book of Genesis and studying the book of Exodus. And a Christian says, Wow, is there a revival going on and I missed it? Ooh, because here is the purpose of Exodus, we're told it's freedom from tyranny. So you begin to look at the Bible and you strain out the supernatural. I'll have to be brief on this. Here is the difference between those who say, well, we don't need Christianity. We can live a good life. We can be good to our neighbor. We can be sacrificial. We can be helpful. We can be altruistic seek to distinguish between right and wrong and help other people. Why do we need Christianity for this? But here's the crux of it. That it's not the work that we're called. It's the power and able to do the work. Motivation. Why do we do what we do? Why do we love our neighbors ourselves? Why do we do these things? It's the power that God gives in Jesus Christ by the power of his Holy Spirit. See, this is where Romans 10 speaks to us. All right, with that said, we have another word here. Paul comes along and he says here to this, I beseech you, or I appeal to you. You see that in the text. Interesting choice of words. The word exhort. It means to urge strongly, to advise. It's the authority of a mediator of God's truth rather than the authority of a superior issuing a command. Get that? And let me go ahead while I'm on this. I'll take up a third word here This is part of getting a handle on the text. And that's the word <coughs> that the apostle uses. I beseech you, appeal to you. What? Brethren. Here is Paul, this man among men. He could have been man of the year in that world if they had given such an accolade. Paul, think of what he had pre-conversion. Brilliant man, rose to the top of his class in his rabbinical studies. Knew the Old Testament, came to Christ in a dramatic way on the road to Damascus. Saw the resurrected Jesus Christ. His life was transformed. And think of the privileges that he had. He had privileges and gifts that were probably surpassed most believers. He performed miracles. He was a mighty teacher, would hold Bible lesson, Bible teaching ministry for month after month after month, and not dry up the well of his knowledge. An extraordinary man. He was taken up to the third heaven. Oh, but Paul puts himself right down as an equal. Brethren, brotherhood, I'm one of you. Don't forget that. He doesn't try to lord it over the Romans and say, you Roman Christians, you do this because I said so. Here are my credentials. Here's my resume. That's not the way he functioned. He didn't function with power and authority behind him because he had the letters of the alphabet after his name. No. So therefore... He said, I urge you. Knowing what we know, knowing what God has done for us in Christ, Paul is appealing to the mind here. Think, 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 and think deeply. Our minds must be in control. Therefore, this appeal is to the volition. I urge you. You have choices to make, you have decisions to make. There is no coercion, no command, but it's an urging based upon what? God's revelation. We'll see this. Then let's go to the other word. I said, we'll look at the word therefore. we we'll look at the word urge. We'll look at the word brethren. Now this is this other word that comes in here. It's the first word in the sentence. Present. What are we talking about? This is our response. This is what we're to do continually. He's not simply talking here about an experience. That you get the second blessing. That you get the Holy Ghost. This kind of thing. That you've got to have this. This is a a deliberate, a decisive thinking process whereby you're constantly at God's disposal. I want to please you, Lord. So since God has done such a complete work of salvation on our behalf, since grace now reigns over us, chapter 5 and verse 21, so therefore we are to present ourselves. The sacrifice that remains is that of a thankful response. Get this word present. I'll say a little more in a moment about it. But God did not spare his own son. What did he do? According to chapter 8, verse 32 of Romans, he delivered himself up for us all. How will he not also with with him freely give us all things? So we should not spare anything in delivering ourselves over to God. That's present. Anything. Anything. My, and are there possibly some resolutions, i say quite probably, some really potent resolutions that we could revisit, we could recommit ourselves to in those resolutions. So, you know, you hear a lot today about identity. People are wanting to create their own identity. Who am I? And as if they could manufacture it. Well, here it is. The identity that is sketched here for us is that the true, our real identity is we're in the image of God. We understand that we're sinners and that without Jesus Christ, we are lost. But with Jesus Christ, we become clothed in his righteousness. We possess the Holy Spirit. And male and female believers in Christ, we are his and we present ourselves. That's identity. And don't get confused by all the chatter. Got to find your identity. As if we, arrogant human beings, as if we could create it with our own hands. No, 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 not at all. Now, with all that said, you said, is he ever going to break the passage down? Well, what I just did was I really greased the the skids for you. Here, we're going to see these five truths that will now come up. I think you'll be able to get a better grasp on them. Let's do that. So there are these five realities that are bound up in our response to our justification. Let's consider them. And I left out a word that I'm going to have to deal with along the way here. And that's the word body. When he says, I present your body's living sacrifice. I'm not unaware of the importance of that word body. Soma in the Greek language. Soma. We'll deal with it. It's important. Very important. And there are actually a couple of different approaches to that word. But let's go through these five truths. You with me? Number one the body offered to God is to be motivated by mercy put an exclamation point after it if you will that here is this call to do what God has been merciful to us well what is it alright pause briefly to think the con- grace and mercy how often do you see those twins as it were in, the, in introductions to epistles and so forth grace and mercy and peace grace what is it Grace is giving to us what we don't deserve. We deserve the opposite. We deserve judgment. What is mercy? Mercy is that movement of God toward those who are in a pitiful condition, lost, miserable, unable to rescue themselves, and God has mercy upon them. Hugely important here. It motivates us to what? Get this, it motivates us to gratitude. You know, being an ingrate is a very, very bad thing. You know, that's really, I think, an argument that's part of the essence of sin is being ungrateful, ungrateful. But mo- mercy motivates us through gratitude, through gratitude. All that God has done for us. God's mercy continues to exercise its power in and through us if we really are connected with the significance of it, and the Spirit is working in our hearts. It's the expression of divine love toward miserable sinners, because Christ of Christ we've been delivered from prison, from dungeon, a dungeon experience, an awful experience, a rat-infested, flea-bitten dungeon cell under the condemnation of God, and He took us out and put us on in a robe of righteousness, and gave us new lives, and the freedom to live for him. Isn't that worth saying, oh, thank you, God, I'm free, I'm free, I'm free. Free to serve God. That's what Paul wants to see. That's the leverage that he uses here. And let's let's plumb the depths of it a little bit more. What does it mean? It means the mercy of justification. This is what we have from God. He justified us. We didn't deserve it. It's the, it's the mercy of sanctification. He's given us the Holy Spirit. He's given us the sufficiency of God's Word to change us, to transform us. It's the mercy of glorification. All oh, what we have to look forward to. Oh, in those nights when you toss and turn and your body is racked by pain, you say, Lord, how long, how long? Oh, before you cross that golden bridge, I hope you'll carry this hopefulness with you that you have that hope of being with Christ and to be absent in the body is to be present with Christ. That's the motivation. That's the mercy of glorification. And there is the, uh, there is the mercy of future Israel. Don't leave Israel out of this. Oh, Israel is important in the process of God's redemptive kingdom plan. He's not through with them. When you watch the news, you hear about Israel. Don't take that lightly as just some trivial matter in international news. No, we can't stay there. The mercy of forgiveness. I've been forgiven. The slate's been wiped clean. I'm not under, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Thank you, Lord. I'm not, I'm free. I'm free. I'm free at last. There's the mercy of our security in Christ. I'm secure in Christ. He's not keeping a record of how many good things I'm doing to further ensure my final salvation. Living that way, what, a, what a, a burden to live under. And there's the mercy of election. Ah, some chafe at that, but you won't find... Paul is not your partner if you disagree with him on this thing. He says it in Romans 9, God will have mercy on whom he will have mercy. Will he not? That's what? That's encouragement. That's encouragement. Why would election, why would that be discouraging? It's a mercy of God. None of us deserve to be chosen by God. There's the mercy of repentance. That enablement to make that 180. That's a spirit of, the spirit of God makes that possible. And there is the mercy of faith. In Christ and in Him alone. Now, let me keep my word. I'll have to. My intention here, parenthesis parenthesis here. My intention is to go forward as situation the situation allows, schedule allows to go forward with Romans and Romans chapter twelve, verse two would be a part two, and there would be other things after that as time would allow and schedule permits. But I want to say this about the word body. Just a couple of things. The body is very important. I don't think, there are two, two interpretations of this word body here. Some think that it means just the physical body. Others say, no, this is the embodiment of all of us. All of me, I should say. And Mind and eyes and ears and tongue and hands and feet. It's the embodiment of that. I, I'm inclined to think that this is what Paul means, but I'm not by any means wanting to infer, and scripture doesn't, that the body is not important. That was a Greek pagan idea that the material and that the body was insignificant. And that death is simply letting the canary out of the cage and that you can fly into freedom and no longer be weighed down by physical appetites, the physical body and the material self. Not at all, that's a pagan idea. So the body, I'll just say it in four brief statements, the body matters, it matters. 1 Corinthians 15 is very clear on this and the resurrection of Jesus Christ and our hope. The body is a place, where it's the temple of the Holy Spirit, as Paul says in in, in 1 Corinthians in chapter 6. The temple, the Spirit of God lives within the body. And the body is a vehicle of the soul. It is the way in which the Spirit, God works through the brain, through the hands, eyes, and ears. And the body. is a source of temptation. Sin always is there in the shadows ready to use the body, the instruments of unrighteousness on occasions. All right, now let's let's go to the next issue. But let me do this before I leave it. If I say that the body is the embodiment, he means the embodiment of the total me, could I just leave you some, a few orders here? So, okay, you, we could go further with these things, but... Here, let these stimulate your appetite a little bit. Our bodies, of course, our members, the whole person, body, soul, spirit, mind, conscience, hands, feet, eyes, ears, sex organs, mind. That's all bound up, I think, in the body. That's what the body is. And we have a body given by God so that the beauty of Jesus Christ can be seen in us. Our minds. Oh, very important. What do we fill our heads with? What books do we read? How do we view TV? Movies. Oh my, we have to be quick with the remote anymore. If you have a remote. <laughs> we, have to, we have to train our minds in godly conversation. Our eyes and our ears. Sociologists, I came across this. It says, sociologists tell, tell us that by the age of 21 the average young person has been bombarded by 300,000 commercial messages all arguing from the assumption that personal gratification is the is the dominant goal in life that's awful and we mustn't take it for granted it's happening now there are safeguards to it you don't have to go and live in a monastery you don't have to take a vow of poverty chastity and uh, what's the other part of the the, the the commitments, celibacy, and so on. No, what one has to do is guard one's eyes and ears. And our tongues. Oh, our tongues, they're be to used to praise and serve God. Our popular songs, the words, the lines from movies. How easily does scripture roll off our tongues? How easily it should. How easily does gossip, slander, vulgar words, profanity roll off our tongues? This is the body. I'm going to tell you, pause here, hit the pause button. One of the things that is really threatening a lot of the, of the unity and love and that's needed at this time is that there are, there's slander that's taking place about this church. And be careful what you listen to. I would love to have a little mini talk on this. What you do when you hear slander, you don't just accept and say, Oh, okay, don't let it go further. Deal with it when somebody is telling you a lie, or gossip is bound up in this, and you don't have all the facts, and they don't have all the facts. Conversation should be ended. Oh, our hands and our feet, hands and feet. What's the foot? Why's the foot so important? Where you walk, what you do. Hands. Oh, hands. Well, who would have thought of this? Watch the mouse, or maybe the index finger. I'm not too good with the index finger on there, trying to move that little cursor around but what's the mouse where it goes what you can click on what you shouldn't click on all right enough said about that the body offered to god is a living sacrifice you with me there it's a living sacrifice what's involved here dying we live what paul's doing here is using old testament language sacrificial system language you you're in exodus Exodus 18 this morning, Steve Pizzini, don't run home, get your nap this afternoon, don't let it be a substitute for the Sunday school class. Romans, or Exodus 18. The old covenant vocabulary with new covenant content, that's what he's doing here with speaking of living. Before a priest in Israel could minister on behalf of others, he was obligated to present himself as a concert, in a consecrated condition and makes sacrifice for himself. What it, it's not hard to cons- picture this word sacrifice. You bring the animal, what do you do? Cut his throat, take the blood, put it on, burns up on the altar, the body of the animal burns up, and that it's a complete disposal in the process. This animal is taking my place. It's a vicarious thing. It's a substitution. Obviously not adequate because Hebrews tells us we have to have the once for all offering up of Jesus Christ himself. So a living sacrifice. It's a complete offering of ourselves. And when we do that, as we offer up ourselves, then we're going to make the most of our time. We're going to think that way. We're going to be living sacrifices. It's thought and energy and decision-making. And it's what it is is that we're putting our personal desires behind us in order to put the desires of God for us and the needs of other people first. That's what's involved when we make ourselves a living sacrifice. Lord, I'm completely at your disposal. I don't have little pockets where I'm protecting, pockets of motives and thoughts and so forth and whoever I am whatever I am. Not at all. All right, let's go to the third. The third truth here is the body offered to God is a holy endeavor. Are you familiar with the word holy? To some extent, I'm sure. Be holy for I am holy. Holy. What's this? It means a putting off and putting on. You're familiar with that language from Paul elsewhere in his letters? We put off the old, we put on the new. You see, sanctification really, It's a synergistic process. Justification by faith is not synergistic. You know what? I'm using a big word there, not trying to impress you, but understand what it means. Synergistic means that there is a cooperation between the two. We don't cooperate with God to be justified by faith alone. But in our sanctification, we do cooperate with God. There is some popular teaching, uh, some quarters that's gone around, you just let go and let God. You don't do anything. It's sort of a passivity. Just quit trying, people tell you. Just quit working at it. Oh, really? <laughs> I remember uh, I was exposed to this very early in my Christian experience, and it always bothered me. I said, Well, do I have any responsibility? We absolutely do. And so we are to put off and put on. And I think this buys, buys, uh, ties up a uh, sacrifice of uh, the uh, spiritual disciplines. How are your spiritual disciplines? How is it? Well, today's the first day of the year. I don't know. I'm not presenting myself as some great model on this, but I love to read the Bible through. I really have gotten hooked on it these past decades. And it just keeps you fresh on how easily you can forget things. You get to a passage you've read 20 times and say, oh, I'd forgotten that was there. And <laughs> it's read it through, come up with some plan. Let the word wash over you. For me, it has to ha- I want it to happen in the morning. I get my, go to my Keurig, get my cup of coffee, and I get there in that chair and I read. And I, uh, uh, oh, I'd love to hear. It. I, I do it with the help of a, a reader and I read it while I'm being read to. And uh, that's the way I like to. You read the Bible through Genesis 1 and 2 today and Matthew 1. Find your own system, but read it through. Prayer time. Oh, prayer time. We're trying to get some of these things ginned up here in our church. Thank God for those that are coming into the church office during the week and are helping us in getting out prayer requests and getting our own prayer list uh, uh, again so we can pray with routine and pray with immediacy and urgency for people. So these kinds of things. And putting it in, if I can go back to the body, then maybe we need to come to terms with, if putting off and putting on, maybe some of my desires need a check. Maybe I'm doing too much binge eating. Oh, my, is that ever easy to do with refrigerators and grocery store? A oh, grocery store? It's a, I love grocery stores, but oh, everything's there. <laughs> All this food. What do I do? What do we do? Is that I want my body to glorify God, and I don't want to do things to it that are going to impair my effectiveness? All right, get off that. Could be a hobby horse, but I'll resist. The body offered to God is acceptable to God. It's acceptable to God. This is the word pleasing is used in some translations. What's this? Sweet savor. Well, you know when the offering was put, the the animal was put on the offering, and the flames ate it up, what went up? It smelled like a barbecue. That's not a bad smell. Yes. Oh, I can see our little dog with his nose kind of twitching a little bit. The smell of it. We got a little dog. It just follows us around the kitchen. And, and you know, God smells. Did you know that? So I it says, it's pleasing. It's savory. He, sacrifices were pleasing to That means satisfactory. He enjoyed it. He accepted it. That's what is pleasing to God. So, therefore, it's acceptable to him. God likes it when we sinners do the right thing. He loves that. He loves us. We're to be pleasing sacrifices, not because we deserve to be accepted, but because the offerings are true to God's specifications. You did it right. That's good. You really know how to cook it up. (laughs) A sacrifice of ourselves. And number five, the body offered to God is our reasonable service. Oh, no. Reasonable. Uh, some of you have spiritual service in your translation, don't you? Uh, you get a commentary on Romans and you're going to get a couple of pages on this one. What is this? I'll cut to the chase and think, tell you what I think. I think he is speaking of reasonability and what it is that is, it's just the right thing to do, considering what God has done for you and what you're, you and I are called to do. It makes good sense. Does that communicate well enough on this? That the whole of our life is worship to God. And what we do in this reasonable service is that we're doing that which is rendered by the mind. We think it through. We do. That's why I read that passage a little earlier in 1 Peter, spiritual service. 1 Peter 2:2, 2, 2, the word that was used there to describe milk, it was the word spiritual. It's the same Greek word that is used here that is translated in this, your spiritual s- s- service. Service is latreia. That's the word that was used to describe priestly functioning. But the word before it there is a word that, from which our word logic comes. It's the logical, reasonable thing to do within the, what God has ordained, the specifications, the directions that he's given. It's not a reason without being tethered to the revelation of God's word. But that i think is what he's saying it's reasonable it's it's like milk that nourishes the mind that's the first peter chapter 2 and verse 2. milk the word nourishes the mind it re, it revives us it we'll see that more in verse 2 later on so for paul true worship is offering ourselves to god it's reasonable it's logical because it's consistent with a proper understanding of the truth of god uh, I'll, I'll squeeze that a little bit more. That it is, it is reasonable because of what God has done for us, what he's doing for us, his worthiness, and the lasting value of the, those things that we do that are his will. He says that. The world passes away, but he who does the will of God will what? Last forever. Forever. Doesn't get any better than that. And so here it is then. It's reasonable to do this. It's reasonable. As we eat our food, as we exercise, as we drive our automobile, as we work, as we run errands, as we hunt, as we fish, as we clean the house, as we sit in class at school. There are reasonable things that we do that reflect God's will, purpose, his standards, his holiness. Do you get that? So it isn't just some feeling we get. Now, I'm not against the word spiritual, but just don't want to think that it's just something that's uh, kind of uh vague and general nor and i'm not implying any dominion uh denigration of the holy spirit's work here at all all right i conclude i conclude i have some resolutions i propose and i do this very very cautiously and carefully i do this because i know how resolution resolutions can just become oh it's part of the it's sort of like black-eyed peas and looking for the dime in the peas you know. it's just something that goes with the January the first or making a pledge to go to the gym but they're filled up in the month of January Uh, no 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 just I'm just offering this I urge you I'm I'm not oh God forbid trying to lord it over anyone but here let me recommend some thought along the line let's preach the gospel to ourselves every day somewhere or another Lord enable me to do that with as much consistency as possible to rehearse the great truths of the gospel justification, sanctification, glorification God give me the grace to do that and that I wouldn't get careless for that we're to build our lives on the mercies of God not on moral principles I do this because of God's mercies I need to think that way Rewire why are you thinking it's your, oh Lord thank you for your mercy get up in the morning thank you Lord for your mercies they are a new every day And let me conclude with this one. There is this mercy of, you know, God's mercy is forgiving people who are guilty sinners and pitying people who are broken and hurting. That's God's mercy. You want to be like God? You said, be holy for I'm holy. You want to do that? Do we want to do that? Well, I think what it would mean, therefore, that we ought to be willing to forgive people. We just may have a little some of that to do. I do. I, I can speak for myself. I have, to really, I have to work at this. I've had some severe disappointments. Disappointments in myself <laughs> to be included here. And there have been some things that have been said and done that I think are just, Lord, that's not right what I do. Here's what we need to do. Maybe you, have, maybe you share this, uh, this, con, this conflict. You know, there are two things. There's Mark 11:25 25, and Luke 17, 3. You know this. Mark eleven twenty five. There is what is known as positional forgiveness. When somebody sins against me, what do I do, I forgive them. I forgive them. That's a that's a vertical uh, transaction. Uh, it's unconditional, and it's Lord. I will not seek any vengeance. I will follow through in a loving, merciful attitude toward that person who has offended me. Mark eleven twenty five. I do that immediately. I don't dilly-dally about it. Well, you know, they got to be, they got to come around to me on this before I can give it. No, 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 not at this point. Not at this point. This point, it is that person who's offended me, then I will not seek vengeance. I'll not dwell on it. I'll not seek retribution. I won't get on the war path. Get the war paint off. And I will pray for them and love them. However, there is what is called, you can read this in the Peacemaker's book, it is, there's what is called transactional forgiveness. That's Luke seventeen three, And this is conditioned. It's conditioned on the repentance of the offender. It's a horizontal thing. Somebody has sinned against you, said something, done something, and it's, it's been maybe a defamation of your own, own character, and so on, then what do you do? Well, you cannot have a clear and open relationship until that person repents. But in the meantime, in the meantime, you live out Christ's love. Does that help? I'm having to do this myself. So I, I hope it will help you. And now here are the mercies of God. Oh, let's uh, pray and let's, let's sing. God, our Father, thank you for your word, sufficiency of it. Thank you for your love for us. Your forgiveness. Oh, what we were such pitiful people. And you you took us you took us up out of the mire and the dirt and the filth of an old life and put us in Christ. Thank you, Lord. Oh, that we can show your beauty, show your beauty by being merciful people. So help us to present ourselves in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. We sing, and then.